Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, we welcome back our friend from Gamers with Jobs, Sean Andrich. Hey, hey. And we also welcome, from Rock, Paper, Shotgun, Adam Smith. Hello. Uh, so today, we're going to be discussing Bungie's greatest masterpiece, uh, the series that defined them as a studio. I am, of course, talking about Myth. Uh, Bungie's 1997 real-time tactics game uh, that combined an early 3D engine, physics modeling, and sprites uh, to create a series, a a two-game series, really, uh, that remains, I think, utterly unique in in PC games. And this has been a show that I've been, like, I've had on my wish list for ages, and it kind of... I'd never really had the stomach to go fight with the backwards compatibility stuff uh, to, to go take the refresher. Uh, so, Sean, you're kind of uh, responsible for this one because I think earlier this summer, sort of out of the blue, you sent me an email uh, that you'd found a way to get it working on your PC. Yeah, there's this whole, uh, unsurprisingly, right, because Myth and Myth 2 are such wholly unique games in their own right and there hasn't really been games like them since so there's a there's this group called uh it's called project magma uh, and they just basically kept updating myth you could play it at 1080p 1440p it runs on windows 10 just fine you can play multiplayer you can play co-op uh, and they even ported the original myth into the myth 2 soulblighter engine uh, which had a few extra niceties and stuff, and re- basically redid the original Myth in that Myth 2 engine as well, uh, because it just that works better, uh, I guess. I'm not sure why they did it that way, but, um, but yeah, it's it's unbelievable. If you go to projectmagma.net, it's all there. It's it's crazy. Yeah, and so I encountered this uh, probably when the when the, when it first came out. I think it was I was slow getting the Myth 2. But I, I got right on Myth Myth One, and in context, it corresponds to a couple things that are happening in PC gaming at the time. Uh, one is that 3D accelerators are just starting to take off. Like this was one of those games that, like, uh, I, I pretty clearly recall, like there being a 3D FX mode you could activate in the options menu, so that your uh, your voodoo cards could uh, could could really perform well with it. Um, and so, like, you know, in contrast with a lot of its contemporaries, Myth is this uh, sort of medieval fantasy tactics game uh, that takes place on what at the time, and I would argue still does, uh, feel like a pretty sophisticated and nuanced, like, 3D terrain uh, engine. Like, it's these are battlefields with like lots of small little folds and shallow divots and you know ditches and trenches uh running through them and all of that is interacting with a physics simulation that is sort of tracking uh you know every arrow that is fired by archers uh every single molotov cocktail uh thrown by your uh, dwarven grenadiers and every just you know severed arm that goes whirling through the air because that's mm. <laughs> that's another thing that's going on with this game uh sort of to show off and celebrate its its physics engine it's an exceptionally gory and uh gory game and it's also completely in keeping with uh myth's theme which is that it's sort of a generic fantasy universe undergoing a pretty classic zombie apocalypse is, is how i describe it uh, i don't know adam does that seem like a fair summary 
Yeah, I think that there's two things for me about Myth. One, you've already touched on, which is the the tech, which was mind-blowing. It, it really was. There was. When I first played it, I remember first laying down one of those Dwarven demo packs, and the explosion from it, it sends arms and legs bouncing across the map. And then you realize that sometimes a demon will explode. There's bits going everywhere. But the demon's carrying a blade, and the blade bounces and it takes the head off another demon because the physics actually allow this to happen. And that was incredible. It sounds silly. It was incredible. This had never happened before. It hadn't happened in the first-person shooter that I'd seen. It certainly hadn't happened in a Command & Conquer game or another RTS. It was it was unique. Um, and the tech was was so impressive. And with the, the zombie element that you talk about, the, you had these, I think it was the second map in the game, has this moment where there are, um, are they called thralls? I can't remember what they're called now, but the... the uh, whites. Whites, they're whites, sorry, yeah. Yeah, the, the generic kind of normal zombie enemies, the whites. No, sorry, uh, sorry. The So the whites are the ones carrying the dagger that blow up. Oh, the whites, up. And sorry, the thralls, yeah. Yeah. you're right, you, you're right, you're right. The thralls are right, the basic, right. uh, like yeah, zombie the, shamblers with axes. And that's it. The, these things just come at you. They just come at you. And there's a, I think it's the second map. You're going to secure a village that they've taken over they, they've conquered they, they burned this village down and they're on the other side of a river and there's a moment as they walk towards you they just walk into the river and they vanish from sight because they go under the water and you think what the hell is going on and of course they don't need to breathe so they just walk straight back out the other side and they're not visible because they're deep they're under the water and they just walk straight back out the other side. And it was incredible. And then you realize that you can blow them up down there and the bits will bounce out of the river. It sounds so silly, but it was it was absolutely shocking that this could happen. These things can just walk under underwater. They can vanish below your line of sight. You know, and it was it was phenomenal. The other thing about it is is the setting, which is it is very generic fantasy in a way, but um it reminds me a lot of the most recent game it reminds me of is the Banner Saga, because it has yeah. this whole element, which is, yeah, that you're you're on the losing end of a war and we'll talk about the narrator i'm sure but it's one of the first games with a great narrator um which again brings to mind darkest dungeon to me now which um you know these games which have this great voice to them uh, and myth is narrated by just a, a guy he's a soldier he's on the losing end of a war and you're trekking across a map you've already lost the war your guys have lost the war and you're trying to take something back. You're trying to survive. You're trying to do something good. And there's so much in the dialogue, uh, in his monologues, which is him talking about the snot freezing in his nose and, you know, the wounds that are festering. These people are just under the gun. And and it's just, it's so different to everything else that was out there and still is, I think. Even their tendency to put little stories, little quotes, little descriptions of all the individual characters, all the individual units that you're controlling you know like the it's like gives your your dwarf his name is durin it's it's got some quote from durin or some description of durin um and and not only that then you're carrying these guys from mission to mission they're getting veteran status they're slowly getting better so the story isn't just for me the story was never just the narrator in between the missions which is good but the actual like oh i've durin's been with me from the beginning he's my guy like this is this is the guy. His his Molotovs are never duds, <laughs> <laughs> and and he's perfect. And it's totally it's such a classic. It's something we still associate, I think, with Bungie today. 
giving you a lot of lore, giving you a lot of context, but really not necessarily spelling it all out. Yeah, I think I I have been struck by how, like, because I can't imagine there's many people still at Bungie who worked on the Myth games. Uh, Myth is already kind of an outlier for Bungie, right? Because, like, before the Myth games, they are basically a Mac first-person shooter uh, developer. Mm, mm. Um, so, like, id ruled on PC, and uh, Bungie made uh, the games that your Mac-using friends would, would hold up as examples of maybe even better games uh, than the likes of Doom. Uh, but a, a lot of people just never played games. Like uh, I think Marathon uh, was was Bungie's best known uh, Mac game, and then after Myth, they're going to go and make Halo. Uh, so like they're not they're not a war game studio. They're not a real time strategy studio. Uh, this is just this this weird outlier uh, from Bungie. But the thing that does feel of a piece with Bungie's other output is that yeah, Myth does have all these little. Uh, little bits and pieces of lore and flavor text sort of seeded through the world that don't really, they are, they're tantalizing in the way the grimoire is tantalizing in destiny, right? At no point can you actually assemble a complete history of this universe from the snippets you're given. But what you're given the impression of is a really like fun and intricate, like grim, dark fantasy world, uh, that those little, those little tastes it gives you, uh, let you sort of invent like, you know, cool backstory for, you know, just an example, uh, all your archers in the first game are from, uh, this, uh, I'm not even sure they're a human tribe, but they're from this uh, tribe called like the, the fur bulg. And they've basically been at war with humanity throughout like all of their existence. And it's only this zombie apocalypse that has like sort of forced them to become allies in this war. But the flavor text sort of talks a little bit about like how, uh, you know, this is still a very fraught alliance, right? That like, you know, it, it used to be that nobody ever saw the Furbolg unless you wandered into their forest and uh, then you never made it out. And that's kind of the backstory. And you can sort of unpack a little bit of like what brought those people together uh, for, for them to sort of be in your army. But the game's never going to tell you. It's never, there's there's no, there's no entry you're going to find that's like, ah, now here's the complete... Silmarillion-esque backstory of of the yeah, rivalry I, between man and and for Bolg. I think one of the strengths of it is that it's it's very happy to be a snapshot. It's it's a moment in the history of this world, but it isn't an individual moment. It's it it is a a world changing moment, but it's content to be that moment. It doesn't have to give you the entire saga, the build up to it, which which makes the the name interesting because you know the the name it the game is called Myth. It's a terrible name in some ways because it really isn't about myth. It's about war. It's about battle. Um, I think the game is very much about this individual moment in the world that occurs. I don't think it's about mythology at all. I think mythology is the backdrop to it. Um, mm. I mean, I mean, you could argue that the name, therefore, is is important. I, I I think that it's it's much more a kind of boots on the ground version of dark fantasy, which is one of the things that I love about it. But that idea of taking a snapshot of a world, I think, is something that Bungie have always been good at. Um, I'm not going to argue that they're still good at it because I have mixed feelings about where they are with Destiny 2 on that front. But um, but I, I certainly think it's something that that is is a value. There. I think Halo does something similar in the early days. I think that Halo eventually became something very different. I think that the, the most valuable moments of uh, Combat Evolved, the first Halo, 
are similar to myth. It's it's the warthog on the beach. It's the little moments of you know this these tiny moments of a war rather than hey actually here's what's really going on here. You disagree there, Rob? Well, okay, so uh, okay, spoilers here for for a twenty year old series. <laughs> the thing I like about this series is um. Okay, so it's called Myth of the Fallen Lords. And I agree, like, the, the series doesn't feel like you're taking part in a heroic myth. It does feel very uh, boots on the ground. What I really like about it is that you're fighting your your culture's own myths. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what this is about, is that in the first game, what you discover is that there are these, like... Uh, there there are wars in this culture's history that are as remote from them as like, uh, you know, uh, Joan of Arc is to us right now. Uh, so there's like these dimly remembered events, uh, and there's these legendary heroes uh, who sort of threw back this invasion of monsters called the Macridia. We'll get to them when we talk about Myth Two a little bit. Uh, but there's all these heroes who rose up and secured a future for the uh, free peoples of the world. Uh, and you know, all of that is passed into legend and it's a dimly, dimly recalled memory. And now like, I think it's a millennia later, 500 years later. Um, what you've got happening is that there's this group of fallen Lords, uh, these, these sort of evil heroes who've come with like an army of the dead, uh, and have been for over the course of years been like destroying this world. Uh, and yeah, when the game starts, uh, everyone's like basically down to their last throw of the dice. Uh, the war is basically lost and they've just uncovered some secrets to, to let them turn the tide. But what's revealed over the course of the game is that the enemy generals you're fighting, the heroes, the, the enemy heroes you're fighting are all the heroes from the previous heroic age like they're all the legendary heroes that people have been telling stories about for a thousand years they're back and they're beings of like pure malevolent evil and looming over all of this is is this the fate that's going to await all the important characters of your story Right. Yeah. Like, we, sh- we. Yeah. Yeah. And we should say that the the, uh, the Fallen Lords is the name of the first game. It's Myth the Fallen Lords. Uh, but the 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 um, the people that you're in charge of, the the, I don't want to call them an army because they don't feel like an army. They feel like remnants. But the the yeah. people that you're controlling are called the Legion. And and one of the things that happens at the end of the game, again, spoiler alert. It's not a big spoiler, but. But um, they take the name Legion at the end of the Fallen Lords, and that becomes the name of the new armies of light because they are now legions because your legion survived and they won. But it also makes clear that at the end of this this kind of heroic effort, um, the people that you've been leading, they, they kind of dissipate uh, and they end up uh, it, essentially, they, they return home, but... They're broken. They're completely broken. Um, there's no, I mean, there's no happy ending is kind of both false and also too cliche because I think the storytelling is better than that. But um, but they they are victorious, but they feel all these scars are left with them. And it's one of the rare games, I think, especially in tactics and strategy that that cares about the consequences of war. It cares about what happens when you finish fighting a war. Um, Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so like, 
the uh, the manual for Myth One, both games open with a short story, and, and they're surprisingly well written short stories. But the the first game opens uh, on a journal entry from the person who's going to become your narrator for the main game. But uh, when you open the manual, it's the story of uh, the the first image of Myth. You're reading the manual, and back in these days, you you often did end up reading the manual while your game installed. Um, is a young conscript of the Legion staring at the place where his forearm used to be and just like repeating to himself, it can't be that bad or something like that. Uh, and it's this scene of like all the other troops sort of looking at this guy and they know he's dead meat. Um, and so nobody even like says anything to him. And a couple days later, he's, he's sort of just cut down. But yeah, this is an army that is, is on its last legs. Um, and a great little piece of flavor text is when you see civilians uh, in this game, um, if you click on them, uh, there's a line about, uh, you know, the peasantry suffers the most in, in all conflicts. Uh, and in these times, uh, the, the peasants have very little to look forward to, uh, except conscription at the age of 15. Uh, so yeah, like it's, it's a countryside denuded of adults. Um, and it's, it's a war being fought by, uh, you know, men aged before their time and uh, conscripted children. And it's, it's just kind of cool that all this is, is in this game. But I think it feels desperate, too, because um, if you're playing on the heroic difficulty or, or legendary difficulty, but even on normal, uh, this is an enormously challenging game where the odds are not in your favor. Like, you have to be perfect if you're going to survive these things, because you cannot just throw, uh, you know, you, you can't, you, you can't get involved in a scrum with the undead, right? You need to, you need to win, uh, a lot more elegantly. And so this game feels desperate, I think in, in a way that's very thematic. Well, it all tie, it ties in the gameplay and the story tie in so well with that, because it's a, it's also that, that sense of, uh, your battle plan doesn't survive the first skirmish. You know, you engage with the enemy, you're trying to control it, but it always ends up falling apart in some creative new way every single time. Like, I can't tell you how many times everything's going well, but you have your your dwarves. Your dwarves with their with their molotovs are... The game is un, unwinnable if you don't manage your dwarves really, really well. And they are this... these. They're these little bundles of chaos that you need to try and manage amongst the battles. If you don't stay right on top of the dwarves and if you don't micromanage every little aspect of them, plus positioning on everybody else, uh, get the dwarves out ahead, but then you got to watch out for range units, picking them off. Like, it just, it never, there's never a moment in, in myth where I feel completely in control. Like there's, there's always just that element of everything's in place, but that dwarf can throw a dud. He can throw an explosive into the middle of the enemy that does not go off. And then what am I going to do? You know, what am I going to sacrifice? There's a lot of times where you just have to decide I'm going to have to leave this archer behind to get to get killed because I got to pull everybody else back. Yeah. And to give you like just talking about how variable the dwarves are and then how that interacts with the physics. Um like everyone talks about those moments where the dwarf gets uh, ridiculous friendly fire, uh, and that is frustrating as hell. We're like, you you've turned away from a dwarf, and he is under AI control for a critical split second. He sees a bunch of zombies, and he flings a grenade at them, not caring that the zombies are fighting like twenty of your warriors. Um, that grenade's going in no matter what. But 
something else is that that grenade can do a lot of things. So, like, I have had battles where um, if you can get zombies to walk over your satchel charges and then detonate them, it's just mass carnage, like insta-kills. Insta like, it's... um. A cool thing is that, like, an explosion, like, from the outside of a group of troops does far less damage than an explosion that all the energy is absorbed by by troops surrounding it. Uh, and so a grenade that, like, falls into a group uh, is going to be a lot deadlier than one that, like, detonates, uh, you know, off someone's shoulder armor. Um, but you'll have these things where that grenade will land on a group of Thrall who are standing over your saddle charges. And it will just bounce along the tops of their heads or their armor, and it won't actually fall down and detonate the charges. It'll just, like, slowly, like, get... Like, it'll, it'll slowly, like, crowd surf over the zombies <laughs> and then fall harmlessly. And then the moment has passed. You know, that, that ambush didn't work at all. But in another in another save, or you know, if you tried it again, that ambush would work beautifully. And yeah, myth has that that chaos element of uh, that matchup, that interaction between like a bunch of zombies walking over your perfectly placed satchel charges, uh, you know, a dwarf with a good arm. Um, even then, eh, it's still like fifty fifty that that thing works out the mm. way you think. I mean, that's often the frustration of it. I mean, it's a game or two games that I absolutely adore. Um, I think the frustration is often in the design of the individual missions and the maps, because uh, I think Myth at its best absolutely embraces the fact that it, you can survive chaos and you can always find the next best option. You can always find a plan B or a plan C, and they may fail, but you can always try them. Uh, as you make your way through, particularly the first game, and I regret to say I have not found a list of missions yet, but uh, but in the first game particularly, toward the end, it becomes much more puzzly in the sense that, oh, this is my memory of it anyway, that uh, that it becomes too much a case of this is what I need to do at this point to, to progress. Um, and there are a few maps which are very much full of bottlenecks yeah and and it's like okay if i get to this point and i don't do it perfectly i'm probably starting again and i think at its best it was always a game that allowed you to improvise and the improvisation element is absolutely key to the entire the, the physics of the game uh, the very simplicity of the units you have as well you know that this isn't a game with a huge complex roster. This is a game we we're talking about the dwarves a lot because the dwarves are the most interesting element of your army because they're disruptive, uh, and it's a game which embraces that disruptive element. Um, and at its worst, the disruptive element becomes a fail state. Uh, and, and I think that was a I think that was a challenge. I think that 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 what Bungie did was they created this incredibly complex and strange tactical system that is reliant on chaos, that is reliant on improvisation and how you build maps for that and objectives for that, I'm not entirely sure they mastered. I think they got close to it in Myth 2, uh, which is Soul Blighter, but, uh, but, uh, but I'm not sure they ever really knew exactly what to do with that. I don't think anyone would. And it's probably important to know as well that this is one of the reasons it's such an unusual game. Uh, I think you referred to it, Rob, as a real-time tactical game rather than real-time yeah. strategy game, which is absolutely right. Like, there's no base building here. There's no, no. Um, there's no reinforcement. This is a game which says, "Here's your guys. They're going to be on this map, and you figure out how to 
do what you're supposed to do here, which is often just survive. Um, sometimes it's get from A to B. Sometimes it's survive. Sometimes it's protect. But um, but it is not a game where you have anything to rely on except the the vagaries of battle. That that's what you have. Yeah, it's really not prescriptive. It doesn't it. Other than those bottlenecks, it doesn't tell you, okay, go to B. Now you need to establish mm. a beachhead. And now we're going to send waves of enemies. Okay, you've done that. Now go to C. And now you're going to need to rescue these guys. And then you're going to have waves. Like There are these elements that you need to do. But like Rob, you and I played some co-op, which was a trip. Have, yeah. Having only played the single player, playing co-op is fascinating. Because you can take this army and this chaos. And you can just say, okay, Rob, you're in charge of the dwarves. I'll take care of the archers and the warriors, and let's just go get it done. And you are a nightmare with dwarves when you can just focus on them and not need to worry yep. about positioning everybody else. Uh, but, like, there, you know, we, we still, we were playing the, the second highest difficulty. We failed the first time. It just it got away from us because <laughs> there's a lot of enemies in the second highest difficulty, and that's usually how they scale it. They just throw more guys at you, at least as far as I know. Um, and so we had to we 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 took a second run at it, and we ended up just sweeping through the countryside first, like dealing with patrols, ranging far and wide, and and so that we can kind of not need to worry about additions from because you're not necessarily just fighting the enemies that's in front of you. A lot of times they're coming from all directions and a lot of times they're just on these wandering paths through the map. It's not that they're scripted and they're scripted to come out at a certain point, although there is some of that here and there. A lot of times it's just like wandering, roving bands of enemies that you need to deal with on the way too. Well, it's interesting. Um, boy, there's a bunch of things there. Um, yeah, this is a game that sort of turns you loose in these levels. And doesn't give you a whole lot of hand-holding. This is a game that is not afraid to let you get completely lost. And also won't really tell you what to do or what to watch out for. Like, you know, you were talking about that mission, uh, Adam, uh, the Siege of Madrigal. Where That's the one, yeah. you're crossing yeah. the bridge. And, you know, crossing the bridge is tough enough because, uh, you know, the enemy is holding it. And you've got to sort of cross it. And there's this weird, like... Uh, so much of this game is the this, this dance of units, uh, right? Where you've got to sort of like bait them out and draw them into the range of your mm -hmm. archers or your dwarves, and then but the AI is programmed not to go past a certain point because it'll just get like ruined if it does. So like the AI won't fully cross the bridge unless you like stay really close. Uh, so there's there's a lot of that, uh, but in that same mission you encounter uh, these sort of wandering uh, shamblers, uh, which are whites. And they are basically the suicide bombers of, mm -hmm. of this game. And there's almost no... Their introduction is so matter-of-fact, but also so weird. Like, you, you encounter them, and the first time your archers shoot at one, and it blows apart, you just hear one of your troops go like, what the hell was that? And, like, that's it. And the game never tells you, as so many modern games would... Ah, you've seen, you've now encountered the white. Here's what the white does. Here are the tactics to deal with it. Uh, no, you just like watch out for it. Like, pay attention to what happens. That's, that's how you learn to play this game. Also, where are you supposed to go on this map? Myth doesn't know. Like, or, or it does, but it's not going to tell you. Uh, so you just start wandering out there in these fields with this army, and you just don't 
entirely know where you're supposed to be going or what you're supposed to be doing. And I'm not sure somebody would make a game like this today because so much is about like making sure that users always feel like they're properly onboarded to every concept. Uh, but it adds something to myth, like this, this feeling that you are sort of operating deep behind enemy lines. You don't really know what's going on. Uh, you're just trying to survive. And the odds of you encountering something completely weird and unexpected are pretty high. Um, I just played a mission this morning uh, where you're escaping the city called <laughs> Covenant <laughs> uh, with uh, w- with a book that's going to help turn the tide of the war against the zombies. And that is a map that, like, all you know is go find a secret escape route from the city. And you start walking around the map and you encounter a massive, like, mob of enemy troops a troop type you've never seen before. And if you want to, like the game doesn't tell you like, we better avoid these guys. It's just like, if you don't do it, they're going to mob you and destroy you. Uh, so you, you end up just wandering around this like huge map for a long time, trying not to get like caught by these, uh, you know, by, by this army or killed by any of these, uh, suicide bombing zombies. It's, but it totally works, for me at least. Well, well so often in, in real-time strategy or tactical games, I spend a lot of time click, 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 around the edge of the fog of war, looking for the base, looking for the army, looking for something to kill. Myth is, I don't know, I don't want to say unique, because I'll think of another example almost immediately if I say that, but it's at least nearly unique in that it's a game in this genre where I click and I see something and I think, oh, no. I don't think I found the objective. I think, oh, no, how do I get around this? How do I skirt around it? How do I avoid this? Because conflict is often just a problem you want to avoid. And and I think this touches on another another element of the game, which is that it is, I mean, whatever you take from the term dark fantasy, this is very dark fantasy. And it, that's because of the perspective you're looking at it from. It's kind of the... Um, the worm's eye view of war, which I've already mentioned, but but it is these things are horrible. You do not want to engage with them, uh, and it's strange to say this after joking about the bouncing arms and legs earlier on, because that is a part of the game as well. It has humor. The dwarves, as dwarves often are, have funny little lines. You know, they, they, this is the way dwarves are portrayed. You know, they they blow up and sometimes they'll joke about blowing up. You know, like this is how it works. But but this is a game about horrible things that are trying to kill you in the dark, um, and and that is a huge part of it. I think. Yeah, it's. Sean, you you compared it to uh, you said this this feels like the Black Company uh, game, and I, and yeah, I think yeah. for me, like my point of reference, I've never read those books. My mine is probably like this feels a bit like a Joe Abercrombie uh, novel in mm-hmm. some ways, but it, it definitely does have that like um, you know in a in a thousand years, this might be like written about in a Tolkien esque voice, but at the time, it's got this it's got something very much more like World War Z. Yeah, well, and that's and that's actually, I think, maybe partially why it was called myth. Like, I, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of get the sense that you're you're playing out something that is very real and earthy and gritty and nasty, and you can imagine how even in sixty years or a hundred years, where this gets mythologized, and you're you're just it's it's kind of like you're living the fairy tale instead of hearing about it. 
you know, when your mom's telling it to you when you're a kid or something. Um, I would say that uh, not only that, but part of the darkness that comes through it and part of the emotion that comes through it, when you think about the fact that you're playing these troops that have, that they're, they're what's your remnants, you're what's left. And it's usually not going to be the gentle tree hugging, uh, nice ones that are left over when something like this happens. These are, these are very grizzled or possibly young, right? But these are very much like, these are the hard tack of humanity. These are the ones who survived being gnawed on by the undead for all this time. Uh, so you don't even, that all that humor is dark because they're not necessarily good people, right? It's all kind of inferred, uh, but there's not necessarily a lot of nobility here. Certainly it doesn't encourage nobility in the way you play it. It encourages you to be sneaky and underhanded and cheap, you know, and picking off enemies with your archers and trying yeah. to kite them away from the main groups. Like it, it pushes you to be kind of that, that underhanded in your play. It's, it's a world and a game that says you can't be a, a hero here. You have to avoid things. And when you do engage, you have to be overwhelmingly things have to be in your favor. You have to stand on a hill. So your archers have extra range and rain Molotov cocktails down on them. Your swordsmen with their armor and their awesome shields are useless 80% of the time. And if you run them into a melee, you're going to lose. Like it's just the whole, it's the game. It's so despairing (laughs) in a lot of ways, but, and yet it's, it is ultimately heroic. And I think you take these kind of people and then you remove yourself from the story of what actually happened. I do see all these guys becoming heroes. Um, well, this is a good point to talk about Soul Blighter, which is Myth 2, which is, I think it's 60 years later, right? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. And at this point, um, the the Legion have become a heroic memory uh, to an extent, but also there is a sense of peace. Um, this is Myth saying, hey, maybe everything's okay now. And then, of course, it isn't. Uh, and what's different is that in the first game, in The Fallen Lords, you feel like you're coming in just right in the middle of the worst possible situation. And Myth 2 puts you in a situation where it's like, maybe things are okay now. Maybe things, And you know they're not going to be, because otherwise, you know, there's no game, right? There's no, there's no yeah. tactical It's a farm war simulator. Game. It's exactly. just a farm simulator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then suddenly it's like, what Myth 2 does, it says, look how quickly we can tear this down. And, and it's so quick, and it's so violent, and it's so unpleasant. Uh, how quickly things go badly. Um, And I don't know what the message of Myth 2 is in terms of what it's saying in its plot, because one of the things that it's doing is you need to really mop up. When you finish a war, you need to make sure everybody's dead. That seems to be one reading of it, you know. Um, But really, it's just it's how quickly things can go wrong, how quickly peace can collapse. Well... Um, so I, I think something else that, you know, and maybe this is just 2017 infecting my reading of literally every goddamn thing ever created. Uh, <laughs> but like, I mean, the game opens on like uh, the, the, the warrior, the sorcerer hero from the first game, Ulrich, um, you know, lying uneasy uh, in his sleep in his palace. Uh, but yeah, the way the game opens, uh, the Legion still exists, but they basically become like uh, territorial police. Yeah. Um, and they're, you know, they don't take their jobs super seriously. They're well trained, uh, but nobody, ex- they're, they're well trained for war. Nobody ever expects to fight. Um, and you're being led by this, uh, you know, political general, uh, named Kruniak and nobody really 
thinks too highly of him because he seems really self-promoting. And then the first mission is, uh, oh shit, it's a zombie attack in this village, uh, which, you know, if you're not careful, can get pretty hairy. But the zombies don't seem to be that much trouble. They're just ghouls. Uh, you know, if they touch a unit, they paralyze it, but they're real slow. Uh, Sean, when you and I played it, we basically painted the map red with blood. Oh, uh, yeah. it was it was like two hundred zombies uh, and zero casualties. It was glorious. But the thing that's going on in that first game, remember? Um, yeah. So the the fallen lord that nobody dealt with in in the first game is Soullighter. He escapes. Um, and the second game, nobody's seen or heard from the enemy uh, at all in ages. And Soulblighter is going to be the the enemy you're building towards. But do you remember how all this starts? Is like local greedy, like there's a mm. local greedy uh, nobleman who just starts like trafficking in necromancy. Yeah, and, he's dropping graves, isn't he? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he yeah. touches off like he is like the epicenter for what turns into like a massive outbreak of uh you know these these zombie armies and that's when Soulblighter shows up and it all unravels so impossibly quickly like no sooner have you uh basically dealt with the fact that this uh baron is out there um you know working with uh, like creating a zombie army no sooner have you dealt with that then the situation has metastasized beyond control. Uh, and it gets worse. Like all that progress that was made in 60 years, all that civilization that's been rebuilt and protected uh, is destroyed in a matter of, you know, weeks. Uh, it, it takes no time at all. Um, and it does sort of have this air of, uh, you know, people get complacent. Mm-hmm. Uh, people mm-hmm. forget. And there are always going to be, uh, you know, really mendacious and self-interested people uh, who don't really give a shit. You know, it's what, what can they get out of it? And that's kind of what triggers this disaster in the second game. Well, 60 years is uh, kind of the right amount of time, right? Uh, with 60 years after the end of the first game, you can have a whole generation of soldiers who didn't engage in a war. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that, that creates a situation where the second generation is, is coming into the, into the fore. Everybody's comfortable and yeah, greed and all that stuff. Cause this isn't uh, a happy pastoral world, right? Like it's never really presented that way. It's, it's presented as a, as a medieval um, kind of a dark place. So it just seems like a place that's just ripe for corruption, and just it. The I, I would imagine the civilization's memory in the in the land of myth is just very short. Yeah, there's a moment in Soulblighter, and I can't remember exactly when it is, where they rediscover the journal of the narrator from the first game. Right. Uh, they, they actually come across it, and and I don't think much is made of it, which is very much the myth way, where it's like this should be an amazing moment, but they're just you know, we found this journal, hey, this has all happened before. And uh, and they learned something from it, I can't remember what, but one of the things that I do remember is that Soul Blighter again gets across the scale of it because I, I've probably made a mistake by talking about this uh, in the sense that I'm describing it as a very localized game. Uh, it is, it's very much about this legion and their struggles, but the scope of it is enormous. Like um, in terms of, just the scale of the war 
Um, this is a game where as you travel from place to place on the map, sometimes you are, the, these people are traveling miles. They're traveling hundreds of miles sometimes to get from one battle to the next. They are suffering attrition. Um, there's no speediness to it. It's not a case of we're here, now we need to be here. If you, it, When they find out they need to be in a certain place in the world, there'll sometimes be three or four missions between the here and there because it takes time. It's a slog. Um, nothing is simple for them. Every every step of the way is fraught. And that's absolutely true in Soul Blighter as well. It's, you know, they, they are 60 years down the line and suddenly all this violence erupts again and they are not equipped to deal with it. Uh, you know, as you say, they're not ready for war. They, they haven't prepared for war. And when war happens... They they just they they stumble around. A lot of the game is stumbling around trying to find solutions, uh, and that's incredibly rare. I mean, we're talking a lot about the plot and the setting here because it is it's such a strange tone, and and I, I really do think it is Bungie's masterpiece. I know you said that at the beginning, Rob, and and you know obviously there's um they they've made other games, but uh but I, I do think it's um not only the best thing Bungie have done, but one of one of the great uh, depictions of uh, battle in a game. I really think it is. I think part of that also is, we're talking about that scale and the fact these do not feel like, uh, again, this might be a heroic time, but like these are not super units, they're vulnerable. Your, uh, you know, serried ranks of warriors uh, are just meat shields to be used very situationally, but like they can't carry the balance of the fighting. Uh, and that is both reinforced and aided by the fact that um, Myth is a very slow game. Or, or it mm. feels slow until it abruptly does, and it has that it has that pacing of like a zombie movie, right? Where like everything is shambling around and doesn't seem that dangerous until like just that one unexpected thing happens, a barricade gives way, and then suddenly everything's happening too fast, and it's all confusion. Um, myth unfolds at this not quite sluggish because you're still you still have so much you need to be doing and managing that you're really grateful for the pace. But, you know, when I compare it to how a lot of uh, real-time games worked, even at the time, but especially since then, and even games like the Total War series, uh, the Total War games have gotten faster uh, over time since that series since that series launched, like armies sort of zip around the map. Uh, there's less patience for this sort of, like, you know, carefully, painstakingly maneuvering your formations uh, around a battlefield in, in Total War. Myth is all about being painstaking and deliberate in your positioning and your formation and your use of terrain. And I don't think, again, like I'm not sure someone would design or, or, or balance a game around this pace of play uh, in, in this day and age, but I think myth only works because uh, it is this... It unfolds at a pace where you have just enough time to see things getting away from you and make one or two key choices, and then the enemy's upon you. And it it always feels like you're in that you're that is your decision window. And I think that is so important for how myth feels and succeeds as a tactics game. Yeah, it's the the slowness. It's it's kind of like it's like having your arm nod on 
You know, like you don't get, it's not like, it's not, it's not getting it chopped off. It's just being gnawed on. Like, it's just when, when you, when a unit's going to die, it doesn't just drop. Like you can watch uh, something go wrong over, over a span of 30 or 40 seconds. Like, mm. You know, you've lost sometimes even just with positioning and you're just watching the tide come in and you know, you're screwed, even though everybody's still alive because you don't have a way to recover from it. Um I I'm I'm I apologize. I am so sorry I'm making this comparison, but in the way that we're describing myth here, uh the only game that brings it to mind and it's probably why I love it so much is Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. This game of huh. uh, po- this game of positioning, this game of not telling you everything, this game of discovery through exploration uh through it's it slower, it's more about timing, it's less about just hammering on skills and more about positions uh there is i think that in terms of its ethos i think there's a lot to be said for looking at something like dark souls in in what it did with the third person action type game and looking what myth does when you compare it to the rts games of the time like command and conquer um i i think there's a lot to be said there because every uh, like case in point Every arrow in myth is weighty. It's heavy. Like you feel it thunk into the enemies. It, when, Rob, you and I know when we, were, when we were playing, when the arrow enters an enemy, there's a slight hitch in their step. Like it's just a slight, it just yep. slows them down just slightly. So if there's a zombie bearing down on your dwarf and he gets hit by an arrow or two, that'll like half step slow him down enough to give your dwarf a chance to get away. But that it's the minutia of that. Like, I need to think about that kind of minutia when I'm playing Dark Souls game. Like, I need to be thinking about the the speed of my weapon, uh, if it lands, where it lands. It's just so tight and so heavy feeling. Myth has a very similar kind of vibe to it. I, well, I, I, think, I think it's a good comparison. I think that um, it works in terms of the, the way the settings work as well. I think that uh, I always think of Dark Souls as... And this is a gross oversimplification, but uh, and also a personal take. But I think of Dark Souls as being post-apocalyptic D and D a lot of the time, and I think Myth has some of that quality. But also, what I think is important about that comparison is that just like Dark Souls, you can really cheese Myth. You can you can figure out how um, like a radius works, how a, an area of effect works, and you can really game it. Um, and it is a game that you can learn. You can learn the rules of it, even though it has all the chaos and all the uh, the, the the physics, which which seem random. Um, you can do the thing where you you walk forward, you figure out exactly where the the um, the range in which you're going to be detected is. You can even see where ranged weapons can hit you, and you can pull back. And there's part of that which is, and you can, you know you can then gate enemies and lead them to places and you can lay down the satchel charges you can do all that which is absolutely part of dark souls as well um finding how abstract this this world really is and and then playing with it playing with its rules well and it and it feels it doesn't feel cheesy Right? No, no, like it, not at every, all. No, everything yeah, yeah. in in like in dark souls and myth like when i found a strategy in dark souls that made me like that worked and felt a little cheesy like like just plinking the edge of a dragon's tail from a certain angle where I can just slowly wear it down. 
Yeah, like you'd say, like normally I'd be like, oh, this is, this is I'm breaking the game. This is cheesy. Yeah, but yeah. it's like no, like oh, no, exactly. This game yeah. is murdering me constantly, and, and myth can be the same way. Yeah, like when you, and you feel like when you figure it out, you're allowed to do that. That is absolutely yeah. permissible because you're you're playing within its own rules, and they're very very complex rules. Yeah, uh, and not and only it, that they're not repeatable like that one yeah, something yeah. that works in one mission is not something you can just take and apply to the next thing it's not like uh like if i were to play baldur's gate at some point in baldur's gate which is also uh it's more of a it's, it's still a kind of a real-time tactical game of a sort i had a certain approach to every encounter once my party was really established and we were at a certain level it was there's the room throw in t- uh, the tangling vines, throw in a fireball, like hit him with a bunch of area effects. And then whoever's left standing, my warrior goes in and mops him up. Like, and, and that worked almost every single time. And in myth, when you find something that works, it's going to work situationally because terrain yeah, is yeah. so important. It's only going to take you so far before you have to adjust again. Well, in myth, will um, you know, those like sort of my, uh, archetypal myth encounter is your army gets stuck in pretty far and then you realize you're getting hit from three sides you know what you thought was a single front engagement uh other army other enemy troops are showing up now like uh out to your side or even behind you and now you've got to think like how do i maneuver this uh, in order to survive, right? Like, in what order do I tackle these challenges? Who goes where? Uh, do I just need to send in my meat shields to, like, sell their lives to delay one of these forces while everybody else uh, mops up these other two armies? Um, that's kind of how myth is going to play dirty uh, with, you know, with the way you're sort of caught out by army placement. Something else it does do in order to keep things, I think, fresh and also prevent it from getting too, from getting stale as you just like kite the same shambling enemies again and again, and Soulblighter especially does this, is um, it starts introducing enemy super units. And there's a bit of this in Myth 1. Uh, there are these uh, really terrifying enemies called the Fetch. Um, myth finds a way to make fetch happen, uh, as it were. <laughs> um, they are uh, they are like witches who wear the skins of their enemies. Um, they're they're pretty hideous. It's 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 awesome as hell. Um, and then in the second game, well, the second game they just pull out all the stops. Like Myth Two Soulblighter almost feels like everything that was like sort of whiteboarded for stuff that could be done in future Myth games all just ends up coming out at once. Uh, Myth 2 involves, um, in addition to a local noble starting a zombie apocalypse, you also have, uh, let's see, you have to mount a rescue operation inside a magical prison uh, where a bunch of your troops from the first game have been sealed. Um, And it's this massive like maze-like cave network uh, that people are teleported into, but the entire thing is actually about the size of a Rubik's Cube. Uh, so you got to do that jailbreak. Uh, but then the Mercridia are unleashed. And the Mercridia mm. are like this race of werewolves. And if every other enemy in Myth 1 was basically moving at like a zombie walking pace, they're, they're all pretty slow enemies except like these little goblin dudes, the goals. Uh, Myth 2 starts introducing a lot of enemies that uh, are just much, much faster than your troops and also hit much, much harder. 
Um, and you've got to find new ways of, of dealing with these guys as well. And so it's not like, you know, myth could lend itself to being very uh, sort of standard operating procedure, right? You sort of take every encounter by the, by the numbers once you've learned how to fight these enemy types. Myth 2 keeps changing it up on you um, and keeps throwing these to the point where I'm I, like, I have mixed feelings about it. Like there's a lot in myth 2 that like, feels unfair and just vicious and brutal in ways that are really frustrating. But at the same time, I remember these missions really freaking well. Hmm. Yeah. Like it, it, it feels like I did it. Like I, I like I was there. Like um, I've uh, just been reading, uh, rereading uh, Terry Pratchett's night watch. And, and one of the, the elements of that story is one of the lead characters goes back in time to this time when there's a revolution in the disc world. And so it, it kind of goes back in time with this time travel thing. And it tells the story boots on the ground of this thing, something that in present time, everybody talks about is history, right? Where every once a year, everybody wears a little, um, it's a flower. It's a, oh, a lilac, right? You don't know why they don't explain why, but people who were there, it's like, you were there. Like you don't get to wear a lilac. You weren't there. You don't understand what happened there and then the story is going back in time and actually experiencing that and seeing how the lilac came about and everything and i kind of have that same feeling with with myth like there's this sense that when you survive these battles you survived these battles you didn't just solve the puzzle you didn't follow the correct steps you actually survived and then these guys that you survived with you're carrying with you to the next mission i remember i had certain units that i carried a long long way through these things. And it was brutal when I lost them. Well, yeah. And because there's veterancy uh, in this game, that's something else. Like it's not a super pronounced effect, but your dwarf that has been through several missions and has racked up a lot of kills, like has a longer range than a vanilla dwarf. He's a, he's got a more accurate arm. You know what I mean? Like an archer who's who's skilled up quite a bit just is he's going to be placing shots a little bit better whereas your rookie archers are definitely um you know kind of closing their eyes and praying uh a, a little bit uh so so there's that sense as well but yeah there there are some there are some missions that still like They are they they border on puzzle like, but they're just nightmarish in their own way. Like, do you remember the mission where you have to hunt down the Baron? And this is too, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I this, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like making a break for it through his dungeons, and you have to be going race. You have to race through these dungeons, which, by the way, means that Myth suddenly turns into a room to room combat game. Yeah, yeah. Um, which the engine doesn't really succeed. It is, it is not its strength. No, no. <laughs> No, it's, it's 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 pretty infuriating. Uh, but the other thing is, he's got, I think, two or three escape ex- escape paths from this dungeon. And if you go to one, he will go to the other and escape. So you basically got to like, you know, stake out every watering hole in the desert, uh, as it were. And also, he's guarded by these units, the Stygian Knights. Oh God! Um, no, this is bringing back memories now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're immune to all damage except yeah. dwarves, dwarven explosions. And so, even if you catch him, um, none of your troops are going to be able to do any good unless your dwarves are in position to to take these guys down. And so, the entire thing just turns into this like 
you're dealing with a lot of enemies down there uh, in in these dungeons, and then you also need to be like making sure your dwarves are safe because like so it becomes, you have to carry out this assassination. Yeah, it's almost like an escort mission for the dwarves. I remember this, and yeah, this is this is kind of the stuff I was referring to early when I said that I think that at its least flexible um, myth myth struggles of its own design. Um, and I think my memory is, and I haven't played Myth 2 for a long time, actually. My memory is that Myth 2 has the highest points and the lowest points. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that the highest points often come from the more varied units. Um, also, I think it makes better use of terrain when it remembers to use it. But yeah, then it also has the issue of, of missions like that. Um, I... Don't we? We're not going to talk about Myth Three. Can I talk about Myth Three briefly? So, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So Myth it Three exists. was, yeah, and it it wasn't developed by Bungie. It was developed by Mumbo Jumbo, I believe. Yeah, Mumbo. Yeah, um, and um, and there's a lot that I don't like about it. Um, there's some things that I do like about it, um, but it it's interesting because it it's it's a it's a um, a prequel. It's a thousand years earlier. It's it's. It's kind of the age of mythology that the people in the original myth games would refer back to if they had memories that long. This is um, when the fallen lords themselves were heroes, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and the thing the thing about it that I remember the most is that it doubles down on a lot of the problems of Myth Two in terms of level design. There's a lot of caves. There's a lot of tunnels, and that was never the strength of Myth. And if we go back to the tech briefly. One of the things that is still impressive about Myth is how good the um, the, the the Z axis is in that game. How good the the hills are. How good yeah. the slopes are. You just don't see this very often in in tactical games. Uh, you mentioned Total War earlier. Total War uses uh, terrain and, and terrain height um, in a very simple way. Myth uses it for uh, visibility. It uses it uh, for <laughs> bounceability you know like yeah. um uh, yeah. you know like being able to throw a satchel charge and have it roll down a hill you know you can actually use that tactically you can have units coming down a hill towards you and you know that your dwarves aren't accurate but you know that if they throw it over the top of these guys and there's a hill behind them it's probably going to roll back down the hill and that's important and arrows thunking into hills you know it's incredible and there are entire units um that that have line of sight. Uh, dwarves don't have line of sight because they're lobbing things, so you know they can travel over uh, terrain, over objects. But there are the the mage units in Myth Two um, who rely on line of sight, and it introduces this whole new aspect to the game where you suddenly have to care about people hiding behind rocks and trees. You never did in Myth One. You never really cared about that because everything had an arc to it. And suddenly you get these new units, and you think, oh great, they can fight. They got fireballs. This is great. They're really accurate. But you can just duck behind a rock and they can't hurt you anymore. But the dwarves can use the satchel charges and lob them over the top of the rock. So suddenly you realize that terrain is the most important thing. And at its best, Myth absolutely embraces that and realizes that, which is why it's it's at its worst when it puts you into corridors and caves and rooms. Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, the the reason Myth Three came about from Mumbo Jumbo is because uh, Bungie got bought by Microsoft, right? Mm. So Bungie was sold to Microsoft in two thousand, so they lost the franchise rights to Take Two Interactive. So it was Take Two Interactive who had Myth Three: The Wolf Age done, and that was actually Mumbo Jumbo's first game. They were actually former uh, developers from Ritual Entertainment, who around that time would have just released 
like Sin, the first person shooter that came out around the same time Half-Life Boy, 2 did, Half-Life did. Ages. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's it's like Myth 3, for what it was, I think it lost some of its magic trying to go to 3D units uh, and stuff as well. Like, I, I don't know if it's just, there, there's something, there's there's a certain magic to the physics of Myth and Myth 2 that I think 3D games just seem to struggle with achieving in the same way. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's an era where, like, just a lot of 3D stuff is... Like, 3D kind of kills the Gabriel Knight series, right? Because, like, they've decided to make everything 3D. Because, hey, this is a modern game now, and we want it to look like, you know, cutting edge. Uh, except we don't, we can't really animate the 3D at the the way it should be. It's, it doesn't feel lifelike or anything like that. But it's 3D just because it has to be. Um and the sprites are very, are, they're super snappy. Like, one of the reasons the, that this game is all about this, like, dance of units is because, like, you are able to micro the hell out of these little armies. And they have, like, they're slow, but they're also, like, very crisp in how they move and, and react to your orders. Uh, I, can, I can see 3D games in this era sort of struggling to have, uh, struggling to animate that well. Uh, and, and still preserving the same sort of uh, like reactivity. Um, we should talk a little bit about the multiplayer because uh, this is something mm-hmm. that a lot of people remember really, really fondly as well. And I never got to play as much as I wanted to during the day because, uh, well, I was on uh, America Online, uh, which did not react well to Bungie.net. Uh, yeah, you got that. You got that CD in the mail. You just couldn't resist. Uh, look, my parents like, <laughs> like I, uh, the, honestly, the 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 Tom Hanks Meg Ryan uh, classic. You've got mail. One hundred percent had something to do with uh, AOL's market penetration into my house. Um, but. When I, when I did manage to get it working, I remember the thing that surprised me is that, uh, at least playing at the time, multiplayer myth was cool, but the thing that frustrated me is it didn't feel at all like myth. Uh, there was a weird online meta with, uh, with, with myth uh, where you'd have people using uh, fetch pretty extensively. Um, mm. You know, a lot of like your... Uh, you know, meat and potatoes units in in the core game, like warriors, just didn't see any play at all because there was no advantage to them whatsoever. And so, online play in some ways like touched on what was great about myth. You know, using terrain, uh, you know, sort of fencing with other players as you as you're trying to maneuver these ba- around these battlefields. But at the same time, it was also its own profoundly weird expression of myth gameplay. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that we've kind of proven the point that Myth was um, a, a story-based game to a great extent. And I, I, the multiplayer, you, you're absolutely right. It, it was good, but it wasn't Myth. It, it never felt like Myth um, to me. Uh, and part of that was tension. I think Myth always had this tension of, I know what I've got. I know what I'm stuck with almost. I know these are the units that I'm stuck with right now, but I don't know what I have to deal with. And obviously, when you replay a map again and again, you kind of do know what you have to deal with. But there was always that thing that whatever is out there, this is what I've got to deal with it. This is what I've been given. This is the hand that I've been dealt. And you lose that in multiplayer completely. You completely lose that. 
Instead, what you have is still a very interesting tactical game, but you instead have a game where there are good choices and bad choices. And Myth never gave you the good choices in single player. It just said, here are your bad yep. choices. See what you can make of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I just don't... I- I, don't, I just don't think Myth works as well. Like, like, Rob, we played a very brief King of the Hill game just to, A, to make sure that multiplayer actually worked before we recorded. Which it does, uh, like a dream. Yeah, yeah. Beautifully, uh, beautifully. We'll, and we um, should say, part of that, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but Bungie did release the source, right? Um, did they not? I thought they gave that to Project Magma. Or am I wrong on that? I don't I'm know. I'm not too I, sure. I, I honestly up. don't know um, let, how let well that do- worked. But, I think uh, yeah. I think Bungie actually did give them the source code, uh, not directly to them, you know, but they released it, yeah. which which you know would have helped. Um, well, yeah, because yeah, it looks yeah. like the online play GateofStorms.net is basically just spoofing uh, BungieNet circa 1998. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I I believe, and I'm double checking this right now. I think that they were. Um, they made it available. Yeah, they did. Yeah, Bungie released all the source code uh, for the servers, and Project Magma picked that up and ran with it. Which uh, you know, which is great. I mean, this is one of the reasons that games survive and can yeah. can survive is when uh, when that can happen. I don't know exactly what the deal was, you know, with uh, with Microsoft and Take Two, but you know, the fact that Bungie were able to do that is great. But sorry, that's a diversion. Sorry. No, but uh, yeah. So playing King of the Hill. Um, with with you today, Sean. Like again, like the way King of the Hill was meant to be played certainly was like you know four or five people, you know, duking it out around this central capture the flag location, and uh, with two people, it's definitely a little weird. But but the other thing is just yeah, like myth armies for those missions have a certain feel, and you know you're you're sort of forced into managing around these pros and cons. Uh, the multiplayer could be like at least when it was what I remember was a uh, was a points buy system. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was interesting is this game, like the iteration we were playing this morning, didn't seem to have that, uh, which might be for the better. We were both sort of forced to make do with these uh, polyglot armies of like you know z- you know mixed zombie dwarf uh, archer stuff, but like. It, it still felt like a myth army uh, and a little bit less like the stuff I was playing on LAN and online in, you know, in 99, 2000, mm. where for some reason, like most of the units I'd learned how to use and gotten good with uh, were just like out of the meta. I remember at a certain point, like people barely used dwarves because they were so easily countered. And mm. like, mm. what's myth without dwarves? Mm hmm. Oh, exactly, and and I I will say that the uh, Gate of Storms, um, the Project Magma stuff, uh, there's a lot of multiplayer modes. Yeah. Uh, not only that, they they ported the original Myth game into Myth 2's engine, um, so all of those original missions are in there as well, um, and and so there's there's actually a bunch of game modes. Like we we barely scratched the surface, and then playing it all cooperatively, it, it didn't have co-op. Back in the day, I right? don't remember that. No, so this was no. this was a new thing. Yeah, because basically the way they they run it, I think you can play co-op up to like sixteen players. So uh, technically, you could play a co-op game where everybody controls a unit. <laughs> I, I suppose. 
Yeah, yeah. it's a LARP at that point. Uh, but you just, uh, like, when we played co-op, I just selected a handful of units, hit backspace, I think it was backslash or yeah. forward slash, uh, and just assigned them to Rob, and then Rob had control of them. It's very, very basic co-op. I could still actually seize control of them, which isn't ideal <laughs> when you're trying to select out units and maintain your own guys. But <laughs> it was, it, for the most part, it worked. And it's a really neat way to approach this game series like it's neat to play it with someone else to take something that you played uh oh god how long has it been now it's, it's been 20, 20 years, years. Oh yeah, my yeah. God. yeah doesn't that send, suck send, to say I to think... play something you say say something you played 20 years ago and and revisit it but in a new way is a really yeah. neat thing like i'm i'm so grateful to the to the modders who put all this love into it well talking about mods i, I remember way way back when playing uh, there's a vietnam mod yeah the, oh yeah. my god it was so yeah, bad yeah. yeah green berets oh uh, i just terrible. i looked it up right before i called you up yeah I, I remember playing that and being like this is incredible that somebody's done this and then playing it and thinking it's less incredible yeah i remember pc gamer writing that up like oh man you gotta try these myth mods <laughs> and you know what myth does not lend itself to is uh vietnam where a bunch of your warriors are carting around uh m16s yeah. and yeah it was just it was it was absurd uh, an utterly yeah. preposterous little game but still uh yeah it, it was it was really modern friendly yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. There was there was an American Civil War one that I remember as well. I'm amazed. I I never found like a a Lord of the Rings mod and you know a Warhammer mod. I don't remember seeing those. I'm sure they exist, but it was always the the more 20th century warfare ones or 19th century warfare ones. Those are the ones that I remember. Uh, which is possibly just because explosives were so good in Myth that people thought, hey, you know, maybe this is something we should do. Um, I I. I my great regret is that, um, you know, as I guess we expect, is that we haven't seen anything quite like it since. You mentioned Dark Souls, Sean, which I think is actually, a ver- like I say, a very good comparison. I mentioned the Banner Saga earlier on, and to me that's kind of the um, the modern... Um, um, the legacy of myth kind of lives on in that, and it's a completely different game. You know, it's a it's a turn based tactical game. Um, it's 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 so different in so many ways, but something about that um, not voice narration, but like the 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 horror of war and the the misery, just the cold and the damp and the the. I think myth and banner saga both uh, among the few games that make me think yeah these realistically in this setting in this world more people are dying in the camp between battles than during the battles yeah. you know people are dying of their wounds people are dying from the cold people are starving to death um and they both made me feel that and and you know it's 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 not an exaggeration to say that myth did make me think about war i mean i was uh you know i was 30 uh, sorry, <laughs> I'm mixing up my age now and then. I was 16 when uh, Myth <laughs> came, wh- when Myth was released, and um, and you know I played a lot of computer games. And Myth was a game that I played, and I was like, "This is horrible! Like this is horrible!" And at the time, I was reading um, a lot of military um, nonfiction, and it was one of the few games that I played. And I'm not over egging how well Bungie did this. I'm not saying that they were doing this stuff better than, you know, 
to to an extent that you know cinema wouldn't do or television wouldn't do but um but in a sea of games where you know i controlled tanks and soldiers and they shot each other and there were no consequences uh myth did tie into a lot of the military non-fiction i was reading and it, it had consequence it had this horror to it and and that was it, it did really make me think about a lot of that stuff in a, in a way that other games didn't and still don't and the banner saga picked up that baton a little bit for me yeah, I think there's some itch. If you have a myth itch that you need to scratch, there's some of that you can get out of the Men of War series. There's yeah. a certain element of just that. There's That's, a desperation yeah. to it. Controlling the individual like soldiers and units. There's sometimes some missions where you literally just have a little handful against these armies and you're taking over tanks and trying to manage their ammo. It's 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 not the same, but it's kind of like a. Uh, there was this indie game I was keeping track of that came out in early access in August, uh, actually of this year, called Deadhold. Uh, their tagline is "Turn the Hills Red," and they actually call themselves a myth-inspired tactics-focused RTS with spells, loot, gear, progression. Um, and and I I haven't played it. Uh, I look at video of it, and I just can't help but feel like they they came away from the myth series with the wrong lessons. Uh-huh. Um, there there's it's small unit tactics, but the explosions are massive. Uh, when you watch archers shoot, the arrows just beeline right into an enemy. Yeah. There's no sense. There's any randomness to it. It's just another. It, it kind of. It's just another 3D RTS game. It well, does not look much like Myth. This is the thing. Like I think one of the reasons you won't see. It's unlikely you'll see something like Myth is. Um, games aren't allowed to be this stripped down and this like mm. purpose built in some ways like a modern myth what are the odds we get a story driven campaign without some kind of meta campaign uh like what are the odds we get that i don't i don't i don't think they're high um if we're lucky we get something like banner saga if we're not it would be something like it would be a total war game uh you know where the the tactical battles are maybe myth shaped but like it still wouldn't be this authored experience uh and it still wouldn't it, it like I could easily see a lot of those like bits of randomness and like pleasurable frustration of myth being sort of tuned out of the experience uh, over time, right? Where it's like, well, nobody like who wants your archers to miss a third of the time? Well, I do. Uh, yeah, who like uh, that, that feeling? I've I've played games where my dwarf throws a Molotov cocktail badly into a group of my soldiers, <sighs> and it's a dud. Oh my god! That is, yeah, man, that is amazing, just right? you. You cannot, you cannot have those kind of moments if you're not willing to embrace the chaos. He can, well, you, have a, have he can fumble it if he's hit while he's throwing too. He can totally yeah. like it's it's like a Tom Brady and the Raiders in the snow <laughs> type moment uh, where like the dwarf yeah. is winding up and that and that spear hits him and you just watch <laughs> that flaming Molly go tumbling to his yeah. feet and you're like, please God, please let the weather do its thing. Oh yeah, and you don't know what your odds are. It's not like XCOM where you have a well, percentile. This right? is you... what I was gonna say: is that Uh-oh. you know where we do get all of this stuff is in turn-based games, and in a weird way, Myth is a real-time, uh, a real-time take on a lot of turn-based um, elements. You know, things that we we accept in turn-based games. You know that it's okay if a a projectile misses and hits somewhere else. It's okay if a grenade bounces and lands somewhere else. We're much more tolerant of that in turn-based games than we are in real-time games. Or when I say we, I mean, um, yeah, and, gamers. And, and, uh, oh, sorry, gamers. 
Yeah, yeah. I, well, another game that reminds me of Myth, not hugely, but to to a slight extent, is Battle Brothers, which is the huh. uh, turn-based yeah, tactical mercenary game, uh, which has this kind of you know, Myth isn't low fantasy. It's you know, it's very high fantasy, really. But um, but um, but the actual experience of Myth feels low fantasy sometimes because, again, because you know, you're concerned with the mud and the blood rather than the the magic and the um uh mythology um and battle brothers has a little bit of that you know that you have people who can be felled by a single arrow but they can also become legendary because they took 20 arrows and they all managed to do one hit point damage so hey suddenly you're a hero you know um but if you're on the bad side of it it hits you in the neck and hey you're dead you know yeah it's battle brothers i think has the has sort of the like it it takes the more misanthropic uh, angle of of grimdark where i think myth is matter of fact and sober but like compassionate yeah. in some way yeah. in a way that no, like I agree with that. Yeah. uh yeah. battle brothers is not uh that said myth does have uh you know some odd things like you have the journeyman unit uh which is a completely out of context uh like first nations indigenous like unit archetype where like literally mm. everybody else is like a medieval man at arms or an english longbowman type figure and then like it's a like northern plains like shaman looking guy uh and they've all got like uh you know like native names and it's kind of a it's a, it's a weird uh inclusion it's a, it definitely tone deaf uh in in like today's era especially since they do nothing with it uh but at the same time it is kind of cool in myth 2 when the journeymen reveal that they're part of the elite uh heron guard sort of this bygone like uh elite knightly order that like so all your journeyman units who have been these pretty like ineffective like healer units throughout the game yeah that's right yeah, yeah. um when you sort of reactivate that order and you go through like a, a little quest line to, to to bring them back uh the journeyman unit sort of casts off you know they they, they only carry a shovel uh and and their healing roots and, and things like that and then uh, when when they come back, they turn into like these uh, really deadly dervish characters uh, that are, I think, the only real answer to Mercridia uh, when you're fighting them. It's still, it's still not a good idea to wade in there versus Mercridia, but it's uh, it, it's an interesting beat, but it's an it's an odd little note uh, in myth, just kind of a, a bit of out of context uh, in, inclusion there. Um, so. Something I wanted to ask you as we as we, as we wind this down. Um, missions that stand out, like like you're you're sort of like quintessential. Like years later, when you think back to like myth, the ones you're still thinking about, those missions that like still sort of send a shiver up your spine. Yeah, well, for me, it's the siege, which I've already mentioned. But that was the that was the moment I realized I loved the game, yeah. um, and. It was specifically uh, that moment of the um, the undead breathing underwater, walking <sighs> through. Because I was doing the whole thing where I was I was doing exactly what you should do in this situation, right? I've got my archers lined up. I've got my archers behind my warriors. My warriors are standing in front of the archers. We inch forward. We inch forward. We inch forward. We see the river. We see the bridge. And I'm like, there's still nothing here. It's fine. 
we keep inching forward and suddenly I'm like, okay, what I need to do is I need to put my warriors, I need to block the bridge. So anything that comes across can't get to the archers. I'll line up my archers on the bank of the river so they can fire across to these zombies on the other side. They see us, they start walking. I'm like, it's fine. They have to come across the bridge. We puncture them full of arrows. They hit the warriors. They're already half dead. We finish them off. And they don't. They don't go toward the bridge. They just walk into the river. And I think, I, I, I mean, I cannot speak to my teenage self, but I'm pretty sure I was like, this is an AI glitch. They shouldn't be walking into the water. This is like <laughs> something has gone wrong here. And so I leave the warriors on the bridge and I'm just like, well, we, what happens now? And then they just come out the other side and they slaughter the archers. They just walk straight out onto the bank and just rip them to pieces. And I was like, this game is good. <laughs> because, you know, they're dead. Of course they don't need to breathe. You know, of course they're going to walk straight through the fucking river. Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, and that was it. That was, that was, I was sold. I was like, this is, um, you know, this, this was immediately like right up there in my favorite games. I really liked uh, Plane Myth 2. Um, I think it was pretty early on. I think it was called Into the Breach. Mm-hmm. Um, because you you approach this, I can't, I can't was it a village or a town or a, a castle? But it's a, ca- you, you, it's a castle. Yeah, and and you've got like guys like shooting, like we, you've got fire being brought in uh, with flaming arrows and stuff, and and just it it was an early thing, and it, it in a way with these games, I. Uh, maybe it was just my younger self getting overwhelmed with all the extra complications. I've always liked the purity of the earlier missions where you've just mm-hmm. got a few units and you need to figure out how you're going to do a lot with a little. Um, and Into the Breach was like, it, it threw in some really nice wrinkles with the with the fire being thrown at your guys and needing to s- assault this small choke point, uh, which is one of the first choke points you had to deal with in Myth 2. Um, so that one was, that was pretty good for me. Yeah, I think... Um... So for me, two missions that stand out, like one for not so great reasons and, and, and one absolutely for great reasons. A uh, mission that doesn't like always sort of typifies the infuriating aspects of Myth 2 for me is um, landing at White Falls, which is basically right after things have gone to hell and your like, capital has fallen to the Mercridia. Um You have to basically do this like <laughs> D-Day-style assault off uh, your landing craft against an enemy that has cannons. Uh, and so you basically have to like zigzag your army through this battlefield while just getting smoked uh, by like artillery, which doesn't even make sense in a myth game, really. Like it, it feels so unfair. Uh, but it, it's kind of one of the examples of the less successful ways or, or gimmicky ways that myth two would change things up on you. Uh, sometimes and, and and that was sort of like it's memorable like like I remember how tense it was getting to that fort and like slipping my troops up the ramps onto the ramparts uh, and, and finally taking out those guns that was a cool moment uh, but at the same time I remember a lot of just frustrating like okay what like what do you want me to do here like what am I supposed like I'm just getting blasted by cannons what what's the plan here but my favorite my favorite all-time uh, myth mission is Shadow of the Mountain. So in Myth 1, uh, at one point, w- like a huge section of your army is turned by, I think it's the Deceiver. 
Um, and they basically, yeah, they, so they, they basically like turn traitor. And you're with the loyalists, and you've just got to buy time for this like rebellion to be put down, but also like let the main army get clear of this of what's turned into a pretty ghastly trap. And so you are defending the summit of this like volcano. And the opening cutscene is just great. It's just like all these like you know shadowy uh, figures of like unit types that you've used the entire game, sort of coming out of the darkness um, under under what were once friendly banners, and starting to assemble uh, like beneath, like at the foot of this mountain to assault your position. And then it is a classic uh, defend the hilltop to the last uh, scenario. And you are being hit from six, seven sides. But the catch is you're being hit by friendly units. And so the, the thing, the way that myth balances is that your archers are better than soulless. Uh, the soulless are these little floating, like spear throwing units. Uh, they're just basically skulls uh, that float along like a jet of ectoplasm. Uh, but your archers are, have a longer range and are better shots usually than these things. The soulless can like float over terrain, but they are not effective ranged units. Uh, your warriors are much better uh, melee units than the thrall, etc., etc. Uh, here, you're fighting all your own unit types. And so you don't have any of the advantages you've gotten used to enjoying. So you just have to be perfect as you slowly like give ground and fall back toward the summit. And the entire thing is backed by this like ambient soundtrack of... Um, you know how like over the right terrain on days of high wind, the wind can like boom... That's what you're hearing throughout this battle. It just, you know, it just feels like one of those like gale force days where it feels like you're about to be blown off the face of the earth. The entire battle takes place to that, to that kind of soundtrack. It's incredible. Um, and I think really like sort of captured myth at its, at its absolute best of, um, you know, having to make use of every single fold lump in terrain to get that extra foot range advantage for your dwarf because otherwise we're going to lose yeah it's, it also ties into sorry uh it ties into the best of myth because i remember the the build to that which is absolutely everything that i love about myth in terms of story which is you've got your backs against the wall everything's closing in you are too tired to run anymore and then i just looked up the actual narration and um the the fact that you're fighting your own people is isn't even a known fact by your army at that point. The uh, the last bit of the narration before it is I've heard there are a number of our own men among those pursuing turned to the dark by the deceiver. None of us look forward to meeting them in battle, mm -hmm. which is exactly how that game works. It's like you know it it throws this trick at you, which is a mechanical trick, but it's also absolutely tied into the kind of dread that comes through the plot. We need to shout out uh, Jeffrey Charlton Perrin is apparently the voice actor who did the narration for Myth and Myth 2. Um, Far better than I just did. So yeah. yeah, I don't think like I think Myth is still a great game without that narration. I think a huge part of why it is so resonant and memorable is his readings of these journal entries uh, are just they do so much to establish the tone of that world and they take what is what is fine writing and they make it something more 
Uh, yeah. It's a huge part of that game. I can I can find no evidence of what else he narrated. By the way, it's it's an odd like. All I see is that he's listed as the narrator for Myth Two, and I'm not sure what he what else he has done. I really wonder because this is definitely a game when you listen to the little voice barks of your different units, it still feels like it's from that era where the voice barks were done by developers. Well, Martin O'Donnell is in the credits as one of the voices. Really? Uh, yeah, it's a hundred percent. Like, there's there's a lot of Bungie developers, I think, doing doing audio. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. And and Bungie, I think, obviously has does have a love uh, for the series. Like, uh, Siege of Madrigal is actually the the name of a, an audio track in Halo. It's one of the songs. Uh, you know, and there's like things like the Covenant. There's like a lot yeah. of little nods here and there. Bungie's always been fun about doing that kind of stuff. Um, Rob, listening to you describe your favorite mission, the one other game jumped to mind that is also somewhat thematically in tune with this, which is Mountain Blade. Hmm. Um, you know, there's there's something to that that desperation. It's just obviously Mountain Blade is is again, it's more of a third person action exploration, but you're still managing armies and and doing things like that. Um, so that's yeah. I, I I do have hope that we're gonna we may see something like this again someday. Uh, I think that with Myth as the game as it's designed here, I think is a game that an indie studio could make um, these days. And I think that there is a sort of nostalgia for this series. And if you look around and you if you Google around for like games like Myth, everybody's just like there aren't. Yeah. But here's how you could play Myth Two again. And True. and I and I think that 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 makes it these days with so many indie games in development, so many games coming out. I I think that creates a possibility, but. It's just kind of lightning in a bottle. I just don't know if if you could bring it all together properly. Yeah, I, look, I don't know how you would because so much of it is like I think the art has an odd timelessness. Uh, a lot of games from that era I don't think look great, but for some reason I still find the myth art uh, really charming. Uh, the sprites are really evocative. The terrain I think is still pretty even though it's like obviously crude by today's standards um there's so many little things that just that just come together but i think the 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 big thing for me is just the thing that a lot of games have gotten away from is this idea that you can have a linear mission-based campaign and that's it that's what the game is um i'm not sure that really still exists um i like it feels like every game needs to have some sort of meta structure or needs to be building towards some sort of multiplayer, something that's endlessly sticky. Um, and maybe Banner Saga is the the exception there, but yeah, I, I think one of the things that makes Myth so perfect is it is it is a narrative real time tactics game, and that is all it sets out to be. And within a few years, people's like, you know, creative assembly comes along and sees what else is possible with the tech and goes in a very different direction. But myth feels like the product of this weird moment in in time in in, in game design and technological uh, development. Anyway. Uh, I think we'll we'll leave off our discussion of uh, myth right there. Uh, we'll we'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is produced as always by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, you can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com/slash3ma. 
Uh, finally, through is ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Sean and Adam, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.